The following is a message by Dr. Stephen Baugh of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Lord, our God in heaven, we pray that you will visit us in this time of reflection upon your word with your blessing, that we may joyfully hear it and uh, believe it and obey it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Remain standing. Open your Bibles. Actually, I'm going to have you sit down because we're going to read a little bit. Please be seated. don't want anybody fainting. Malachi, chapter 3. Malachi, it's the last book of the Old Testament in our English versions. Chapter 3, we'll read uh, 3.13 to the end of the book. Hear the word of the Lord. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who fear the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers All evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is how the Old Testament ends. You turn a page. It opens with Matthew and the birth of our Lord. A very nice uh, providence that those are put together. Well, as you know, the faculty is uh, giving a uh, chapel time series on the minor prophets, uh, which is in the Old Testament I discovered. When I heard about this, I uh, did what you always do in such a situation. I opened the book at random, and here I am. Uh, it's one of those things where you point, and what happened 
And I'm only half joking because I actually was thinking of doing Zechariah, uh, which I worked in a little bit more. But I opened here and my eye lit on verse 17 and I saw that phrase prized possession, which is one word in Hebrew. And that's what got me to this passage. This is why I'm presenting this passage to you, that, that word prized possession, because it is a uh, optional translation. In fact, the one I prefer in Ephesians chapter 1, a book I am a little bit more familiar with, as you may know. So uh, that's, this is a, a presentation of one word, and then we're going to exp- actually do all the stuff around it and then get to that word. So let's look at the stuff around it. Uh, Malachi was sketched out by Professor Horton a few weeks ago, so I won't repeat that. If you don't uh, have recollection of that message, you may want to get the tape. It was excellent. But he, he, he gave you the historical and canonical context of Malachi, and it's a very uh, helpful to have that in mind. However, uh, I would like to add that uh, Old Testament scholars see a division of Malachi around the questions, uh, the Lord's uh, charge and the questions that the people ask. So I'd like to just read those for you. I have them printed here, so I'll read them quickly. So Malachi 1, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Chapter 1 again, if I'm a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? Chapter 2, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping, groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, how, why does he not? Chapter 2 again, and if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? That's the second time that question has come up. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? You can just hear their tone of voice. Well, how should we return? Uh, I mean, uh, what kind of question is that? And now the, the uh, question that, that opens our section, because our section is the last one, and it opens at chapter 3, verse 13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? So that's the leading question. How have we spoken against you? But now turn to verse 16, and you get this somewhat mysterious uh, announcement. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And that's all we're told. They talked with one another. Now, maybe that's some sort of Old Testament code, I don't know, for a meeting. They met together. But even that doesn't seem very significant. They had a meeting. Okay. But that's the point, isn't it? That was enough for the Lord to respond. You see, they met together. Now, the Lord says other things about them in our passage. This is really quite interesting because all they did was talk with one another. That's all we're told. They spoke with one another. And then here's how the Lord describes them. Those who feared the Lord. 
Now, that's an interesting point because they're within Israel. He doesn't call them then the Israelites met together. No, it's those who fear the Lord. And notice how generic that is. That could be the women and children as well. I mean, this is the people of God, whoever fears the Lord. There's no distinction here in the way that description comes. People who fear the Lord. It might have been Gentiles who were proselytes and had come in. They feared the Lord. Here's what else he says about them in our passage. He says, those who fear the Lord, and esteem my name. See, here's how he responds. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. The ones who fear the Lord who met together are the righteous. Because they fear the Lord. It's the foundation of their righteousness. Their allegiance to the Lord. Their faith in the Lord. That's what it is. It's not what they did. It didn't say, then they built the temple back up. Then these people got together and they went out and they made this huge thing. They did something magnificent. They fought some big battle. They, all they did was meet and talk together. Maybe they encouraged each other. What mattered is it was an action that arose out of faith. Their fear of the Lord. Their esteeming his name. The, the fact that their righteousness flows out of their fear of the Lord. That's all that mattered. And then he says, they will be mine. They will be my prized possession. That word that is so uh, interesting in our passage. And then I'd like to just mention... Uh, I know this is before my time, about 400 years before my time, when Malachi was written. I'm first century, of course. But nothing has changed from the time when Malachi was written, when he uh, prophesied this from uh, my era. And that is, this business of a man cherishing the son who serves him. Now, modern, industrialized, people and live in cities, this, this seems sort of out of the blue. I mean, what does that mean? But for us, ancients, it's a very meaningful thing. If you are out there plowing with a stick and an oxen, it's all day hard work. It's sundown to sunup. And if you have a son who's able to help you, Your work is halved. I'm digging a stump right now, and I won't let my son help me. I could make him. I'm having too much fun. But I'm actually imagining it's going to take me five weeks to finish this part-time. You know, I just work on it a few hours a day, and not every day. It's a big stump. I mean, it's a big stump. But, you know, when I'm doing this as a first-century person, I'm thinking, you know, if I had to plant a field here, and I had to dig this stump in order to put down food, you know, put in a field so while my family didn't starve to death, my son would be out here, and I would be working at this all day long. Because that's it, there's an urgency and a toil here that we just can't imagine. That's what this is about. The son who serves him means helps the family not starve to death. 
literally. So please, you know, read these ancient texts in light of their, their own culture. What we would say is that child who's devoted to the family and, will, uh, and, and loves and respects the parent, because that's what's shown here. So this is, this is uh, the Lord saying to somebody in antiquity, this is how I'm going to treat you. Just as you are grateful for this son who serves you and helps you dig up that stump and plant the field so the family doesn't literally starve to death, that's how I'm going to regard you. With that gratitude? Is the Lord going to show gratitude toward us? No. But the affection and attachment, that intimacy, he's going to attach himself to us with that kind of devotion. Now we can understand it, you see. We can understand the Lord's attachment to us is as strong as it gets. And that's what matters. That's why these people feared the Lord. He was devoted to them. They loved him because he first loved them. Isn't that great? Try to outlove God. Go ahead. Just try the one who sent his only son on your behalf. Now, the one thing I want to point out, last thing before we look at our word, we are going to look at this word. Uh, but before we look at this word, in this context, I want to point out, it appears elsewhere in the scripture, particularly the Old Testament. And there's a movement in our passage just before it launches into the New Covenant era, which is, you know, Malachi is one of the last prophets of Israel. Uh, there's a movement represented, and this word sort of is a link in part of the chain of that movement. Because... You read in, for example, Psalm 135, for the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. It's that same word. Israel as a whole is the Lord's possession. And this is what he says in Deuteronomy three times. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it's not because you were more numerous or more attractive. You know, you know that passage. It's a very important one. It goes on and says, There was nothing in you that attracted me to you other than I set my love upon you. Deuteronomy 14. You are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves because you are his treasured possession. Making that a little shorter. Deuteronomy 26. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession, as he has promised you, and that you are to keep all of his commandments, that he will set, uh, and he will set you in, in praise and fame and honor high above all the other nations that he has made, and you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God, as he promised. Now, that last one sort of gets at, it starts hinting, then he will. Do this. You see, there is a condition implied there. But that condition of being the Lord's treasured possession is made explicit in Exodus 19, that very famous passage. And it reads this, like this, Exodus 19.5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession 
among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. There's a condition. It was not an unconditional status. So that when we come to Malachi 3, you have to see there's a change now. Notice that the Lord doesn't say, in the day when I make all Israel again my treasured possession out of all the peoples of the earth. In other words, restore the theocracy. He's moved on from that. We are marching into our era where the Lord has no one country on this earth that is his special country. All the peoples of the earth are him, and he has a treasured possession throughout the earth. He says in Malachi, you will be my treasured possession. And it's you who fear my name. It's not all Israel anymore. But you who fear my name will be my treasured possession. See, there's a future fulfillment of this. Here's how it reads. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. By the way, esteemed his name? How many times have we heard, you despised my name? How we despised your name? They esteemed his name. They shall be mine, future, says the Lord of hosts, in the day, future, when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Now that sparing implies judgment. You see, the day when he makes up his treasured possession, implication of that is these people are going to be included, but there's more. In that day in the future when I make up my treasured possession, and the day is going to be the day when I spare my people judgment, but you will be spared. Treasured possession, you are mine. I own you. I have regard for you. I care for you like my children. But in that day is when you will really see this fulfilled. And you people who fear my name now in Malachi's day, you'll be there. You see, they have a future hope now. The prophets are building in this future hope. Dirk, you've got to make that a trumpet. If I hear that, I've got to hear the last trumpet. I'm ready. I'm an all mill. All right. <laughs> so it's the day when he makes up his treasure possession. And that's what Ephesians 1 says. Now, the translation of Ephesians 1, they don't always take it this way, but I do. Here's how it reads in the ESV, Ephesians 1.13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, and here's how they put it, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And the word in Greek can mean possession. But the question is, who possesses what? Do we possess redemption in that day when we possess redemption? That's not how this text flows. It's better to read it this way. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a down payment of our inheritance 
for the redemption of his prized possession for the praise of his glory. That fits this whole passage in Ephesians 1 that focuses on God's work, his gathering, his making us his from all eternity and predestination and his choice and calling. That's the focus of Ephesians 1. So that he is going to redeem his prized possession. And we have a down payment of that now through the Holy Spirit. So that when the Holy Spirit is unleashed in judgment, burning like a fire, we will be spared. We are his prized possession. So Malachi is looking forward to our day when that gathering has started, making up God's prized possession. He's redeemed his prized possession in Christ Jesus. And there will be a day when all of his chosen possession will be unveiled. All those people whom he loves like his own children. This is all in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. How many times do you command us to rejoice, O Lord? We sang it in this Psalm 100 twice. Sing to the Lord with joy. Now we see again why we should rejoice, because you love us and care for us. We are very joyful, O Lord, in this promise. We thank you that you uh, have not uh, forgotten these people who feared your name in Malachi's day. They are still with you. They are alive. They are the spirits of the righteous made perfect that we come to on the mountain that cannot be touched. And yet, O oh Lord, we look forward to that day when you will make up your prized possession in a new creation which will uh, never fade or its glory will never be tarnished because you will dwell with your people uh, by grace. We thank you, O oh Lord. We pray that we would uh, always glorify you in our meeting with one another. In Christ's name, amen. Copyright 2011, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.